Dave Fryer. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Ryan Ripley's here. Ryan, thanks for taking time out of your morning. Dave, thanks for having me. This is awesome. And you've got some big news uh, just, what, like a week ago? Yeah, a week ago. Uh, so Todd Miller and I co-wrote Fixing Your Scrum, uh, Practical Solutions for Common Scrum Problems. It uh, hit the market. We're getting a lot of good feedback, really exciting stuff. For those of you out there that have written a book, you know what uh, what pain and misery that is. But uh, <laughs> we got to the end of it, and uh, it seems like it's helping people. So we are super excited about that. How long did it take you guys to write it? We spent about two years on it. We, wow. uh, we Well, you know, we wanted to do, to do something different. We, yeah. uh, there's a lot of scrum books on the market, right? There's, plenty, yes. there's no... Sh- there, there, it's not short supply. And so we thought, all right, if we're actually going to write a book, it can't be a, yet another, here's the basics of the framework, right. here's what a scrum master is. And so we thought, what would be useful? And so we basically, let's just talk about every crazy thing that we see when we go into a company or, or when we teach our classes, right? And yep. so we did that and we captured, I don't know, a, an insane number of anti-patterns. But instead of just being a catalog of right, here's everything that looks a little weird to us. Here's how we have actually gone into companies and tried to help them fix it. And so try to make it very practical for people where if you're having a problem with the daily scrum, turn to the daily scrum chapter and you can see exactly what Todd and I do. First of all, you see how we teach it. Yeah. And what exactly what we would do if we were walking into your company talking to you. Yeah. And it's been it's been received very well by companies, but there's a few consultants who have reached out and said, Hey, this is how I make my money. What are you doing? And it's been kinda kinda interesting to see that kind of play out. Well, I have a different response to it. I just want to thank you guys for writing it because every single class that I teach, I get the I want real world examples and I'm always like, Of what? Of things in the real world. Yeah. Like, but I you know, I ate a sandwich this morning. That what happened in the real world. <laughs> So exactly. but now I have I have a place I can say go look at this book because it's got lots of stuff and and um well, well we'll get into the book in a second before we talk more about it can you explain to the folks they're listening um kind of who you are and your background and, and talk about your podcast as well yeah so yeah thanks for that I'm uh, I'm Ryan Ripley I'm a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org so I spend most of my time traveling the country and every once in a while outside of our country. Um, teaching professional scrum courses uh, the way that Ken Schwaber envisions the way that scrum should be taught. So definitely a big, uh, big supporter of Ken. I teach classes for scrum.org. Prior to that, like if we go 20 years, wow, 20 years, that's, haven't said that. We're old, man. We are old. Just embrace it. 20. I I love it. I, you know, (laughs) turned 40 this year. Oh, you're not old. I turned 50. Well, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm aspiring to get to your spot, Dave, but, uh, (laughs) You know, 20 years ago, I started as a Java developer, and uh, I always worked in these big Fortune 500 companies, so I was a developer uh, in the medical device field, and and after about 10, 12 years, I just, I got burned out. Like, it's too many APIs to keep up with, too many libraries, and, and I was, you know, family was starting up, and just, I didn't want to be up till 3 a.m. trying to keep up with the latest and greatest way to do the, the same thing in, in yeah. Java over and over and over. So I went into... But I was always curious about serving teams, and so I thought project management would be interesting. So I was a PMI, PMBOK-loving, Gantt chart-creating, straight-up waterfall project manager. And I did that for a number of years with mixed results. Um, but in 2013, so, so you have the PMP? Um, I never actually took the class. Okay. I, I know you've got I, the ACP. 
I do have the ACP. Okay. I actually, I did the, I did a prep class at Villanova to get ready for the PMP. And my, the day that I was going to go take it, I had already was shifting away from, from yeah. waterfall to agile. And I was like, why am I about to torture myself? And I never actually took it. Okay. Um, but I believed in the PMBOK. I thought the PMBOK was a great source of knowledge. I really, like, I, I was on board with it. And then I took a class with Ken Schwaber in 2013 that just upended all of my thinking on project management. Wow. And so I went back and I just applied a few things. Like, let's define what a definition of done is. Let's try to have a better daily scrum than what we have. And suddenly the projects that I was, you know, leading or trying to use more scrum features yeah. on, I, we started delivering sooner. I started outperforming peers. Like it was perceived that I was doing something special, which I mean, all I was doing, honestly, was getting out of the way of my team and, and putting a few things in place to help them. Um, but that led me into people management. Okay. So they're like, hey, you're pretty good at projects. Do you want to manage people? And I fell for that trap uh, face first and became a manager and then <laughs> worked my way up to director and VP throughout the Fortune 500 and then one day quit. Um, okay. I was, you know, for me, like success would meant, you know, I'm sitting in my chair and if I wanted to, I could get up and slam my door like that. Like once you have the door to slam, that means you made it. Right. And <laughs> That's I so sad. Well, but it was like, I have that office. Because you're just doing it for like George Costanza, just like slamming the door over exactly. and over again. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it, it's definitely a Costanza move. Right. And I, yeah. I was sitting in my chair and I kind of blinked and I fast forwarded 20 years and I was still in that chair. And but was, you were dead. Yeah. And I wasn't happy. It was, and, and it was just one of those like, and, and I quit. And then this was not like an expected thing where I, where I actually, I left that job and that was an interesting conversation with my wife that night. I'm like, I have to go back. Oh, you just it, like quit and then told your wife? Yeah. Well, wow. she saw it coming, but it was not like, it, it was one of those where she was a little surprised, but I was like, I, I think I found a lead on a scrum master job. I just want to go back to working with teams. Wow. And, uh, but you know what? I love the leadership roles as well. I, I get talked into those every once in a while, but I just wanted to work with teams. And so I That's went back. That's a brave leap. It's weird, right? And, yeah. uh, but it's worked out because I, I, I filled the Scrum Master role for quite a while. And then now I teach the classes globally and occasionally take some Scrum Master roles. And I just, I love that job. I don't want to be, I don't have to be like the, the top person in a company. I just love that idea of serving a team and trying to help you know, this talented cross-functional group of people trying to help them get a product out the door. Something about that just, I don't have to set an alarm. I'm on fire to go to work. I'm excited about the things that could happen. And it just, it's kind of keeping me young, I guess. That's awesome. Yeah. So one of the things, um, I know you did that podcast interview with Kim about becoming a CST, which if you haven't listened, I'm going to include a link to that because I thought that was yeah. a, an amazing interview and you both were great. And Kim was so open about her journey. I, I thought that was really spectacular. You know that, yeah, and and thanks for bringing up Agile for Humans. Like that's a, a podcast that I'm really proud of. It's something that um, I love bringing those stories to life. Like Kim is just such a she's an awesome person. Like yeah. Kim Brainerd, for those of you who don't know, uh, she's one of my most favorite people on this planet. She just like she wears her heart on on her sleeve, and and she'll just talk about. I mean, the, the way anything. that she, yeah, and <laughs> she was pretty raw and open about the journey, and it was interesting because I was kind of. You know, as she as she noted in the episode, I was kind of coaching her on some of the scrum aspects as she was going through the tack and and just you know I got like the second phone call the first time she didn't make it and it was 
it was kind of emotional. Like it was kind yeah. of a raw thing. And I thought she did a brilliant job. And for anyone interested in what it takes to become a CST, you know, a certified scrum trainer, the the journey, the path, I think Kim did a beautiful job of laying out a really honest appraisal of that. Yeah. I, I was working with somebody this week who's working towards becoming a CST and I took a cue from that podcast and in the middle of it just handed her a poster that said breathe on it. Yep. Cause that was, that was one of the, but one of the main parts, but the thing that I wanted to, to comment on was um, when people are coming before the tack, one of the questions that we often ask is like, um, you know, you're traveling, you're on the road for two weeks. You haven't seen your family. You wake up sick at three o'clock in the morning. You know, you're not going to be able to go back to sleep and that whole day is going to suck but you cannot wait to get to the classroom. Why? And yeah. I think the way you were just talking about it, that's all in there. I mean, it, this isn't like a job. I don't, no, I don't no, feel no. like it's a job. It's something you're kind of called to do. It's joyful work. I mean, yeah. I, I love working with the, I, I just, you know, I spent the first three days of this week teaching a class in Indianapolis and, and I, and I've been reflecting on that and writing stuff, not for a blog, but just personal journaling and, and it's just some of the insights they came up with on their own and the fact that I know they're going to go back and try something new. It just, I mean, that just keeps me going. Um, and yeah, it, it is joyful work. It's not, we are all very fortunate and blessed to be able to do this yeah. kind of stuff, whether you're Absolutely. a PST or a CST. I think, you know, Dave, just real quick, one of the other comments that I get about that podcast, they're like, Ryan, you train for scrum.org. Why are you promoting the path to scrum Alliance? And I'm like, you know, it's, there's like this perceived like competition or something, but we all get along behind the scenes. Yeah. I and know. I don't think people realize that. Like we're all pretty good friends for the most part. And whether you're teaching for one org or another, we all share and learn from one another. And, and I hope that came through in that show too. That I think it absolutely did. I mean, we're all trying to solve the same problems. We're just trying to help people get better at doing this stuff. Absolutely. So I, I mean, if you look in our book, uh, Melissa Boggs is our, is our top yeah, I saw uh, endorsement. Like, I that mean, great. she's wonderful. And I, I love the fact that Howard and Melissa have taken the reins at Scrum Alliance. They're doing some, some really interesting things there. They're both good friends of mine. I, I've known them for years and they're wonderful people. So I, it's, it's exciting times. I think whether you're a professional Scrum trainer or a certified Scrum trainer, I think there's just amazing things happening right now. And a really strong supportive community that's one of the things i'm always encouraging students to volunteer for stuff because that that's where all the good things happen is when you become part of the show of putting this stuff together and making it all happen and helping people find out about it yeah i couldn't agree more we're supposed we teach servant leadership shouldn't we also show up that way yeah so um okay so i have a whole bunch of questions for you about the book are you ready yeah fire away okay um Actually, before we before we get into this, I know that a lot of this was driven by the people that you're coaching and your students. And I want to ask, have you seen a shift in the way people show up either in teams when you when you start working with them or especially in class? Has the student typical student changed in terms of their knowledge, experience and openness to this stuff over the past, you know, five, 10 years from what you see? Yeah, I think um, I think the shift that we see and this is something that um, I think everyone has started to emphasize are the scrum values. Yeah. And when we brought those back, I think we started, because I mean, the framework, I mean, we can all teach the framework. It can be done in a mechanical way. You know, Ron Jeffries calls that dark scrum. Right. Uh, the, the liberators in the Netherlands call it zombie scrum. Todd and I just call it bad scrum. Um, 
But when we brought the values back, we started to see a noticeable way in, in how people were showing up, even in the class, with like a little more commitment to, um, to the material, to their teams as we do these activities. They were more focused. I mean, these Scrum values changed behavior. And I think yeah. that's been something we've seen as far as the way they've shown up. And it's why, you know, at the center of the book, I mean, if you, if you take a look at the book and you, you catch that, that current, that, that underlying message, it is the Scrum values are essential. And I think that's where we've seen the most change. Um, okay. I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder, have you seen that too? I have. Um, I think that um, in the CSM class, I mean, I've, I've, the values have always been a really big part of how I teach it. But um, I know that when they changed the tests and the values questions became more complicated, that that became an area of focus for a lot of people on the CSM side. I, I feel like I spend less time trying to convince people in class. Yep. Now, they kind of show up, they're already either resigned to it or they're open to it and they just want to know how to get better at it. And I'm getting less people coming in. And I know this is a point you make in the book too. I'm getting less and less people coming in saying, I need to know the right way to do this. Yep. Um, which is very encouraging to me. Well, I mean, think about the world we live in now. I mean, who would have ever thought that the largest hotel chain on the planet would be Airbnb and they own zero property? Yeah. <laughs> or who would have who would have thought that the taxi industry would be devastated by Lyft and Uber? Or, I mean, I remember blue chip stocks as a kid, you know, Blockbuster, uh, Kodak, uh, Bl uh, BlackBerry. And they're, these companies are either gone or they are significantly reduced from where they were. Yeah, Blockbuster. I actually visited the last operating blockbuster near Portland a few months ago. And it's just sad. It's, yeah. you know, these are places that were part of a part of our childhood. And then today there, I mean, disruption happened. And so you're right. These people, our students are showing up to class going, all right, we know we have to adapt. We know we have to change. We know we have to embrace this or else we're in some trouble. And that, that whole argument as the first 20 minutes of, of defending Scrum and Agile have kind of gone away, and now it's just, all right, just help us not turn into another blockbuster. Yeah, help us stay alive. Um, so in the book, you cover all these different topics, and they're all things that I, I, I guess stuck out to the two of you. Can you talk a little bit about the way you've structured it? Because I know you've got the coaching components in there. I, I want people to get a sense of the way you're laying out the explanation of and sort of exploration of and solution of these problems. Yeah, so we've laid out the book um, pretty much by Scrum event, artifact, and role. And we tried to have some logical order, but it's difficult to have the perfect order. So we just kind of laid it out. And then within each chapter, so let's say you turn to the, to the daily Scrum chapter, we try to open it up with some kind of story uh, or experience that really highlights some of the, the anti-patterns that we're about to dive into. And after that story, that and hopefully what we try to do is have real stories from our actual practice. Usually it's Todd and I making some kind of mistake or screwing something up in a, in a, in a fantastic way. And then as we go through, we kind of, we, we tear apart some of the anti-patterns while mixing in some of the, the, the theory and the practice along the way. But throughout, we're trying to also mix in, a catalog of anti-patterns is interesting. Right. But we're also trying to, throughout that chapter, um, here's ways to investigate and potentially come up with solutions uh, along the way. And then at the end of each chapter, we have a coach's corner where it says, when we go into a company, this is what we do when this event is in trouble. And so this is like from, from Todd and Ryan, you know, combined 40 years of experience thinking about this stuff. Yeah. If we're facing this at your company, this is the kind of thing we would try. And so it's really 
practice-based. It's really, we're trying to be practical um, in that it's not just a theoretical tome. It's here's some problems you've probably seen. Here's some, th- some things that could work. And by the way, here's how we would have actually approached it had we stepped into your company. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I think it's, I mean, for me, one of the one of the more powerful aspects of that is the questions that you ask. Because, I mean, like a lot of the issues that you've got laid out in here, I've, I've either f- struggled and failed through them or they, they're questions that come up in class all the time. Yep. Um, but the questions that you ask about them, um, that was really powerful for, for me. It just caused me to think about it in a different way. And um I don't know. It just gives me like different insights on things. Um, so Dave, I mean, I, we don't have video, but I'm, I'm smiling. I mean, you're a, you're a prolific trainer. I mean, you've, you've done this for years. And the fact that you're saying that just, I mean, that's what we were, it's what we're after with the book. And if we can get someone like you to, to sit back and think a little differently, like that's just, well, uh, that's, you, you, I mean, you made my day. Well, I'm, I'm happy to do it, but I think for me, one of the things I'm trying to get across in class is like, I'm not any different than the people in the room except I've done this a little bit longer. Like I'm a student. I'm a yep. student of everybody around me and you're all my teachers. And there's going to be tons of stuff. There's a lot in this book that I'm looking at and I'm like, okay, well, the first places I went were retrospective, daily scrum, and then I got all swept up in your ex- explanation of impediments. Because um, those <laughs> are things that I still struggle with, either yeah. um, trying to explain like different, like to me, the daily scrum and when the team estimates are the two best places to see how like, jacked up your team could possibly oh yeah um and so I'm, all, I'm always looking for like what other people think of in terms of the questions to ask or like what do you do when the team won't talk in the retrospective um because there's always going to be tons of stuff i've never even thought of oh yeah and i and, and so what todd and i have tried to do with this book is take the same stance that you do in your classes where we're going to we're going to share every failure story of ours that we can remember um, we're going to show that we, I mean, we're still learning. Like the fun part is, you know, Todd and I wrote this largely on the road, right? We teach a lot. We co-train quite a bit. So there's quite a few holiday inns across the country that we stayed in and we're riding down in the lobby and we we're just kind of laughing about, man, I really screwed this up this way. Man, I really screwed this up that way. But we also had a lot of debates about things like we didn't always agree. And yeah. so we really, it sharpened our thinking you know, it, and we both learned a ton from each other. We also, it also made us listen a lot harder in our classes. And I think we've carried that on now that the book is done that, you know, really listen to the questions people are asking, listen to the needs that they have. And, and we've learned just so much, you know, through teaching, through writing, through training that I think you're right, that, that student mentality, even though we've been doing this for a while, I mean, we've been thinking about this for a long time and the book taught us so much more about Scrum. It really forced us to go deeper and we have some new insights and we've, we've tried to share all of that with, uh, with the readers. That's awesome. Um, so you just mentioned that you're, you're working on listening and I'm, and I'm assuming that whether you're coaching or you're in class, uh, there's probably a lot of times when someone will start to ask a question and you already know what the question is and you already know what your answer is. And there's a big, I don't know if you do it. I find that I start to answer. I'm just like, you can stop. I already know where you're going. Yep. How do you, I mean, because this is going to happen to scrum masters. It's going to happen to team members. It's going to happen to developers, all of us. How do you get yourself to shut your mouth when you start to do that? So I, that is one of my worst habits. Um, 
because I'm so sure I know where the question is going. And it just as you described it, Dave, and and what I so actually I got called out on it once. Um, Esther Derby, I'm sure you know, Esther. Yeah, she's a she's a good friend. She's good and, at calling you out on stuff, too. And she pulled me aside at one point <laughs> and she said, Ryan, you need to pause. And she taught me her um, center and her turn, which is part of coaching beyond the team. It's a workshop that she and Don Gray do together. It's excellent. Um, and she, she came up to me and she said, you're, you're a smart person. And the curse of being a smart person is that you think, you know, what's going to happen before it happens. And you just need to pause and listen because someone might surprise you with the question. And so she really, she took, I, I, I love Esther for this. She took the time to really kind of get into that mentorship stance with me. I mean, I've been blessed through my career with just amazing people who have worked with me on stuff like this. Yeah. And, uh, she really taught me to just wait. You know, you don't have to answer right away. You can pause, you can be thoughtful. And I don't always get it right. But when I, when I find myself answering while someone's still talking, it's like, wait a minute, pause, just center yourself, make sure you got the right question. And it's really through intention. I really have to catch myself. Yeah. Um, But Esther, you know, really helped me with that as well. That's one of the, so one of the things about the book that I think is great and one of the reasons I want to encourage people to pick it up is sort of for what you just described. We're all, I mean, no matter how long you've been doing this stuff, there's still things that are not quite totally right. And I feel like trying to teach this stuff, trying to practice this stuff, trying to work with other people, the process itself is teaching me, the experience of being in front of people and trying to explain it is teaching me, just like you said, the writing is teaching you. Oh, Yeah. And you have to let yourself become a student of this way of working and living and not just somebody who's like, this is how we do it. You know, it, it reminds me of of one of the scrum values, right? Like, I, I think people like us, we're supposed to be the embodiment of the values. And openness is one that I really misunderstood for a very long time. And I I finally had the realization that openness just isn't like, you know, open to a diversity of thought, open to new ideas, open to feedback. But it also has to be open to the idea that you could be wrong. Yeah. And, and that really is hard for me. Like that's something that's one of the way I'm wired. It's when I say something, I believe it. And I really had to dig into that aspect of my personality and kind of shift away from that to I'm going to hold very strong be- or, or I have strong beliefs and I have strong opinions, but I'm going to hold them loosely. Yeah. And that's someone- fr- I really love that expression, strong opinions loosely held. I think that's a... Powerful but it was thing. so it was so tricky and learning that that's an aspect of openness is just I mean that kind of changed the way that I showed up and and I think you know it's a, it's an exploration it's it's personal growth it's introspection and I mean and hopefully the book helps with that but I think I think really good scrum masters and scrum trainers I think we're constantly evaluating ourselves and checking our mindset and checking ourselves and making sure we are showing up as a servant leader we are the embodiment of scrum values and when we're not we got to make the correction. Yeah. I kind of wish it was courage and vulnerability kind of paired together because I think that would be a pretty powerful thing. It, I think I think vulnerability is a great topic. I think that's, you know, the, the user voice on the Scrum Guide. I submit that as the sixth value. I actually uh, once submitted kindness as the sixth Scrum value. And I think oh, it, wow. got a little, it got a little consideration before it got bounced. But I think they, they, they consider respect and kindness to be similar. So, yeah, it's weird, you know, I guess because I grew up in Philly, kindness is <laughs> kindness isn't on the top of my list. Um, so what so what is the like if there was one thing that you had to pick out of this book, like one section 
that you could say, I want the entire universe to read like these couple of pages because this is going to fix, you know, it's like the, the Pareto of, of the book. It's going to fix the yeah. most. I, I would encourage. So, I mean, of course, I want people to read the whole thing, but I want Scrum Masters to turn to that Scrum Master chapter and have an open mind as they read it because we are very hard on Scrum Masters in that chapter. Like we basically, and we, and we were worried about this thought initially, but I think it's playing out okay, that most of the anti-patterns in the book stem from a Scrum Master not doing their job. Okay. And, and that's a really hard message, especially when you're selling a book to Scrum Masters. Uh, where you it's, suck, where, read my book. Well, I think, I think what we're saying <laughs> is, I mean, yeah, that's one way to There's put it. There's kindness for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, here's the sledgehammer version of that. It's uh, <laughs> it, it's not, but it's similar. It's a similar message, right? It's like a lot of this rests on you, and we want you to be awesome. We want you to be aware of this, but here are some things you need to consider. And really showing them that if apathy is set in, that if they're looking around thinking, oh, these stupid people, or management doesn't get it, or if only the team would. Li when those those dark thoughts creep into your head, and it's happened to me countless times as a scrum master. Yeah. That's a sign to where I need to take a break. I need to step out of that context. I need to, I need to do something a little different because at that moment, I'm not curious. I'm judging people. And if I'm judging people, I can't serve them. And it's just one of those introspective moments that we're trying to encourage scrum masters to have. And so it, that would be the chapter I would point people to and really think through that chapter. Think through the questions, you know, kind of get your head aligned with, with the values and the principles of the framework that you're, that you're helping people learn and use and then go out and try to fix everyone else. Okay. So can we stick with that judgment thing for a second? Sure. All right. So I get a lot of people in class, like they're new to the job or, or maybe they've got some experience. Like, well, if it's a brand new team, you know, I probably have to tell them how to do more stuff. But if it's a really good team, I can kind of lay back. Um, where do you, or how do you create a mental line in the space of not being judgmental, but still being, taking like a critical eye and knowing like, this is not sound. Yeah. So I trying to keep that, that judgment. And to be honest, I'm a very judgmental person. So I have to shove that tendency down. Right. I find that if I'm asking questions, I stay out of trouble. Okay. And so if I see something kind of weird, um, I might just, Hey, what value are we getting out of this practice? Or, you know, what are you expecting? Or how do you know that that thing you think is true is true? Or, um, when I get a product owner who comes to me and says, Hey, Ryan, I feel like things are going well and that customers are happy, but we know they're not. I'm like, well, that's great. Feelings are fun, but how do you know? And, and really trying to get centered back on, you know, using questions that not necessarily lead the witness, but spark some kind of idea within the person. I try to take that coaching stance. And, and again, this is a very hard thing to do where as a coach, we have to believe that the right answers exist in the team already. And our job is to set up boundaries and structures and constraints and use powerful questions to bring them, to get them to a conclusion that they own. And that's really hard. I think patience has to be leveraged quite a bit yeah. here too. You know, I, patience, I think, is so essential for a scrum master because it is tempting to just say, no, this is the right answer. Do this. <laughs> but maybe it's not for that team in that context, but the patience to coach and train and mentor and teach and do the right stance at the right time to help the team ultimately get to their own truth and their own answer. 
that's in alignment with Scrum, that's patience, that's skill. And I just, I think it takes a little while to, to get comfortable showing up like that. So the thing, I agree with everything you just said, but the thing that I've been totally wrapped around is I am judgmental and yeah. I also will look, and my limitation as a coach is I can only watch people do stuff a certain way so many times <laughs> and then I'm just right. like, stop it. Yep. And then I go full on command and control. But you're using questions. I mean, in terms of like self-awareness and everything, when you feel that creeping up, you're using questions to shut down the voice of judgment yep. and open a space for something else, which I have never thought of that before. So thank you. Yeah, for that. Cool. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but that's still got, you still have to become aware of it. You've got to see the trigger yeah. coming. And that's, the, that's a tricky muscle to develop. You know, it's interesting. People, we, we, we see these these patterns a lot, like, you know, rotate the scrum master role or anyone can be the scrum master or the scrum master can also be the product owner or a dev team member can also be the scrum master. And it just makes me cringe because, you know, what we just talked through, like it's, an, a, mass, it's a massive amount of self-awareness, introspection, knowledge, huge amount of coaching skills, facilitation skills, teaching and training I mean, it's just such a big role, and yet we we diminish it to something like an admin or a or a Jira ticket updater, or or you know the the order of food and the scheduler of meetings and and I just it, that part just makes me sad because the things we just talked through are so complicated and complex. Yeah, and the skills needed to fulfill this role, uh, the way it's supposed to be fulfilled. I mean, it's just it takes a massive amount of skill and talent and patience and compassion and all that stuff that man it just uh, we but we see this over and over we'll just rotate the role we'll just diminish it to nothing and bad things happen when when that's absent when that role is just diminished down to a secretary yeah i get really nervous when people in class are like so the scrum master schedules all the meetings and i'm like no not really um but when they if it seems like and I'm saying this having been an administrative assistant, if it seems like they're trying to turn that job into that other job, yep, um, that makes me very uncomfortable. Well, I, I've actually taken it to a, an extreme. Like in, in the classes that I teach, when I get that question, I'm like, look, if I, you know, every once in a while, I'll take on a three to six month contract, I'll go be a scrum master. On day one, they try to set me up in the tool that whether it's Jira or Azure DevOps, and they usually try to give me a login to the application that the team's working on. And by the end of day one, I've worked with the DevOps team and I've had both accounts disabled. And, and people look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, why am I logging into Jira? Why do I have edit rights there? That's for the team to keep their work visible and transparent. So you can assign tickets, man. Exactly. <laughs> but, I, but it kind of makes it, for some reason, that rattles around in people's heads for a bit. And they're like, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be updating the boards. I'm not supposed to be yeah. assigning stuff. And it and it's kind of breaking that that old project manager mindset, and it's helping them realize I'm focused on people, relationships, the Scrum framework, technical excellence, the values. I I have you know, and then not to mention the wider organization, which most Scrum masters tend to forget. Yeah. You know, and it's there's so much more for you to worry about. I mean, you have too much already. Stay out of the tools. Stay out of the applications. Just stay you know, stay in this servant leadership space and. And you, you'll be busy for forever. Cool. All right. I want to go back to impediments now. Sure. Okay. And I'm curious for your thoughts on this, because this is a question that I don't get it so much anymore, but I used to get it all the time from the waterfall folks, especially the PMPs. 
Okay. I say to students, you know, Scrum Master is a servant leader, and we talk a little bit about impediments, and I try really hard to explain to them that, like, that's not the whole job. It's, like, one of the smallest parts of the job, but it's a really important part of the job. Um, I know in the book you define impediments in a certain way, but I'm curious as to how you respond to the question of how do I make sure that they're not going to take advantage of me? So how... If so, I'm a scrum yeah. master yep, yep. and I'm supposed to take care of whatever your issue is, how do I not become your, you know, servant? So I, I ran into this a lot in my early days as a scrum master. And I made some mistakes here early on where I would go ahead and just take care of that thing and take care of that thing. And I turned into this order taker and I realized I'm not a doormat as a scrum master. So I think realizing that first and foremost, you are not a doormat. You are an important, powerful person on the team who has a specific role and with outcomes you're after. Um, and so I drew, I had to draw a line. Like when would I, when would I help and when would I watch? And so what I decided was if the impediment brought to me was something that the team themselves could solve, that okay. if I felt like if they, if, if they had it within their capability to go find that extra server they needed or to go partner with that dependent group that they needed some like maybe they needed a security review they're capable of walking to a desk and talking to somebody yeah when they would bring that to me i i started saying i had i, I came up with a phrase and i'm like how fascinating i can't wait to see how you all solve that and then i would walk <laughs> away yeah and and it created this boundary and it, and teams will usually call me out in a retro after i start using that they're like hey you're so, kind of a dick there yeah. And they, and, and, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of agree, but it was also kind of rude of you to ask me to do something that you're capable of doing yourself. And I okay. would spin that back on them. And I'm like, if you're truly a self-organizing team and you all keep telling me that you want to decide how best to do your work and you want to self-organize as a self-organizing team, this impediment is within your ability and, and capability to solve. I expect self-organizing people to go take care of it. Now, as soon as this impediment huh. becomes organizational yeah. when it becomes bigger than your scope, when it becomes bigger than what you can handle, I'm going to be right there. I'm going to fight that battle for you. I'm going to have zero tolerance for that thing because it's hurting your ability to deliver. I'm going to be your partner through the whole thing. And I, I make that commitment to you. But if this is about ordering lunch or scheduling a meeting, you can, you can dial a phone and you can, uh, you can click a mouse. Like this is within your capability. All right. So I want to ask for some coaching now because I have a different approach with this and, sure. and, and I'll take whatever suggestions you can give me. Um, I have, and it's, it's, I had the same approach as a project manager, but one of the things I would always say to the teams in the beginning is look, whatever you need, if you need it to get your work done, bring it and I'll take care of it. I don't care what it is as long as it's not. And like, I have a couple things I won't do. Like I won't clean toilets that aren't in my home. I won't remove animal excrement from sidewalks without tools. I won't buy you drugs. <laughs> and, I, and I won't hire you, you know, in quotes, entertainment. Right. Okay. But, those are but, good uh, rules to follow. But those are my boundaries. And yeah. what I say to them is, look, anything else. And I, and I honestly don't care. Like for me, it was whatever they ask, I have to be able to do it like with a joyful heart. So ordering food, helping them book travel, like I have no issue with that because if I've established that, you know, boundary, uh, my thing is always like I don't want to shut them down. I want don't want them to feel like I'm not helping yeah. them. At the same time, I have a similar um, response to yours is when they come to me with something they could obviously fix. It's okay. What have you done to fix this? Yep. Um, but 
I don't mind doing all the other stuff because I want to anything I can do to free them up. I want to do. I, and I think that's a really good, I think that's a good intention. And, and my, and, and I, and I have agreed with that in the past and I, I don't necessarily disagree with it now. Okay. I have a concern, right? Yeah. And so when I, when I think about the things that a team can take care of on their own, am I robbing them of an opportunity to practice self-organization? Am I, ah, okay. am I taking away an opportunity for them to learn how to solve problems as a team? Yeah. Just to solve my own, just to serve my own needs to be the hero or to help them, or in your case, to just genuinely want to serve them. Yeah. Right. Am I, am I putting my needs ahead of theirs? Am I, am I putting something that I want ahead of their, uh, ahead of their, you know, chance to practice these great skills? And that's my concern there. And if, yeah. if, if that concern isn't an issue, then, then I think you're doing great. But if that, if you look at that and you think, yeah, maybe I am kind of pulling away some opportunities for them to practice this really important team skill, this problem solving skill, you know, maybe, and, and maybe for you, it's, let's pull, it's half the time. I'm going to use that, that yeah. line and, and just see how they handle it. But as long as that concern is being met, like, I think your intentions are great. I think that the other, which I didn't, this didn't occur to me until you were just talking through it is the other dark side of it is that if I say to you, I will do everything you need to like completely free you up so you can be awesome. Yep. And if you don't get your work done and I've done all this, like, you know, crawled around on the floor and gone to Starbucks and taken out the garbage and you don't deliver, I'm going to be like, what the hell, man? And so I, that's, that's something I really also have to monitor with myself. in this kind Definitely. Of and, and I kind of think of it, you know, my, um, when I think about like college and going to college and, you know, a discussion with my parents where they said, no, you're going to pay for this because you'll appreciate it more. <laughs> and I, uh, no, I and actually, <laughs> actually we just paid off our last student loan. So I was like super excited about this 40 years old. And I finally own that piece of paper. But um, I kind of think when a dev team is able to solve some things on their own, they battle through they a difficult stronger. sprint. Oh yeah. They gel, yeah. they bond, they become stronger. And I just, I'm watching for, Am I, am I taking away a bonding moment? Am I, am I, am I robbing them of that opportunity? And, and it, maybe sometimes I am, maybe sometimes I'm not, but I'm, I'm just trying to, to really stay focused on, you know, preserving self-organization. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I got one more about Scrum Master. Please. I talked with a guy recently. I did a podcast with a guy named Mike Anderson and um, at the company he was working at, he had actually gotten rid of the role of Scrum Master and switched to what he was calling an Agile Project Manager. And it was the only explanation I've ever heard of Agile Project Manager where I didn't feel like they were saying, I want a Jewish Catholic. Like it was actually <laughs> a thing that made sense. Okay. His approach was there's stuff that Scrum Masters know and that's good, but there's stuff that project managers have to know about human behavioral stuff, like all the soft skills stuff. And a lot about working with, you know, other aspects of the organization that scrum masters are not told they have to learn. Right. And I'm curious as to what, if, if somebody right now just walked in and they had just gotten their PSM or their, you know, CSM, what would you tell them to go study to actually learn how to be good at this job? The stuff that's not in the scrum guide or any of the books that explain how scrum works. So I would... Um, I would hand them a stack of books and say, I'm glad you took this two-day class, but you've just started on a 10-year on a journey to understanding people, 
and teams. And even after 10 years, you're probably still going to be confused and still learning stuff. Hopefully. Um, hopefully. But I, I think in that situation, like that newer person, I think, um, so the book that changed my outlook on everything, there is uh, Jerry Weinberg's uh, Secrets of Consulting. Okay. And I think Scrum Masters should read it because technically we kind of fill a consultant space in many, many ways. And it just teaches you, you know, solve the problem you're being asked to solve and don't spread yourself too thin. And there's all these things in it that are just wonderful. But, um, you know, when I, I'm kind of, my brain is like, you, you, the gears are stuck on this agile project manager kind of idea. Yeah, it's messed um, up, right? I, mean, and, I, I, and, I set up the interview just because I wanted to fight with the guy. And then he explained it to yeah. me. And I was like, damn it, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it looks good on paper, right? But when I think about a project manager, we actually took that. I mean, project management skills are still necessary in Scrum. Yeah. And we've passed off a lot of that responsibility to a product owner. We've passed off a lot of responsibility to the dev team. I would be curious if I could ever, you know, Mike, if you're listening to this and, and if you see my contact info. Um, I'll make sure he gets it. I would, I would love to hear how they actually define the product owner role. Cause I would suspect like if I were to, this, this is where my judgmental side, I have to temper this a little bit. Um, I would suspect that the product owner role has been diminished some way where they don't own budgets. They don't make all the decisions. There's, there's committees involved and that this misinterpretation of the product owner is bleeding over into a uh, misinterpretation of the scrum master. Well, that's possible. Yeah. I'm curious about that. I, I took it to be more like, I mean, the stuff that I kind of got an inkling of studying for the PMP, but I never heard anybody talk about in Scrum that I think is like, to me, the Scrum Master is a social engineer. Like, yep, developers hack code, Scrum Masters hack people. I so totally agree. Studying uh, emotional intelligence, behavioral stuff, body language, language techniques, like yep. that is the thing that teaches you how to actually do this job, not because the process is like whatever, but that's not the hard part. It's the other stuff that nobody tells a scrum master to go learn. You know, I think uh, I 100% agree. I think Esther Derby captured a lot of this in her new book, um, Seven Rules for Change. Yeah. Just understanding that change, you know, like using the Satir model and other practices where like when you change something, there's a sense of loss that you have to deal with and understanding human nature. And so reading books like Esther's or reading Crucial Conversations or having emotional intelligence, all those things that we kind of touch on in a PSM. But I'll tell you what, in two days, Dave, I don't know for you, you but can't. for me, I mean, it's just trying to get the framework straight for people <laughs> yes. is in two days is, is really challenging. Yeah. But that's why... Um, you know, we have the, the PSM2 course, which is all about the relationships that Scrum Masters work with. And I know on your guys' side, the Advanced Scrum Master courses dig into that as well. Yep. Yep. But it's also why I think education is essential. Like when a Scrum Master leaves a PSM or a CSM, they are not done. Like no, it, is, barely, it is barely started. It's like you just got a two-day intro into a lifelong of learning. And, yeah. and you're going you're gonna, to like my bookshelves, I probably have 500 books on Agile and Scrum and project management and people. I've probably read a couple hundred of them and have referred to most of them. And, and we're still learning. Like I still mess up the relationship aspects of Scrum almost daily. Um, but I learn from each, each incident. I learn from each moment. I try to refine my thinking um, and really try to get myself in the right mindset for next time. And, but it's just, it's a constant constant learning experience so 
yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of envious of the new Scrum Master, right? They've got this world of stuff ahead of them. But I also think we're in a great spot to where even though we've been doing this for a while, there's always something new. There's always something fascinating. There's always some new aspect that, that we haven't thought about. So, I mean, what a great space to be in. Yeah, I think um, anybody who's going down this path, as long as you find a way to constantly be a student of everything around you. Um, well, and even like this discussion, some people are like, well, why is a PST and a CST trading ideas and learning from each other? And it's like, because that's what we do. Like yeah. we are, we are students. We are, and, and I, I mean, I've taken and down we're all some after notes. the same thing. We just make Absolutely. money different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, this is what I love about our community. It's the collaboration. It's the, the openness to different viewpoints. It's the, you know, it's the fact that while we do things in different ways, like, we all have the same friends. We have the same groups and we are, we are learners from each other. We're learners from, you know, I, I don't know about you. I've started looking at HR practices and, you know, yeah, I've started that's reading, becoming really popular or even like, I, you know what, Dave, I, you know, I, sh I wish this did not make it in the book and I wish it did. Um, now, first I want to caveat this with my marriage is, is great, but I've, I've started reading marriage counseling books to work with teams. And there's some I think really, there's massive overlap there. There's brilliant, always. brilliant yeah. stuff in those books. Um, I always get nervous when I say that because then three or four friends hit me up on Twitter or call me and they're Are you like, okay? Yeah, is your marriage all right? Do we need to, <laughs> is, you know, is Kristen okay? And I'm like, no, we're doing great. But, but yeah, I think there's looking outside of our space, getting outside of the scrum bubble, getting outside of the, the agile echo chamber and go look at HR, go look at marriage counseling books, go look at, you know, any discipline that requires people to get along and get together and, and do things collaboratively you know go read uh sports memoirs of of great dynasties and teams and i well, think there's just high performing athletes because it talks to you a lot about people under extreme pressure when they're trying to perform absolutely i mean there's there's all this these great bodies of work outside of our own domain that that can teach us so much and which means there's a lifetime's worth of material that we we cannot possibly finish yeah i actually i have a really hard time reading agile books i read mostly books that are not agile that are about different ways of thinking and stuff because that's what yep. sparks the stuff in me um but uh, anyway we're on a really good place i want to stop before it gets weird okay is that okay i hey i'm a fan <laughs> of i'm a fan of it not getting weird so. um so the podcast agile for humans if they want to find out more about that where do they go uh, if you go to ryanripley.com, uh, Agile for Humans is there. Book info is there. Ryanripley.com is a great place to go for all of that information. Okay. And the book, they can buy on Amazon, anywhere, anywhere else you want to point them to? Yeah. So uh, Fixing Your Scrum, Practical Solutions for Common Scrum Problems. Uh, it's available on Amazon. Uh, if you go to pragprog.com, the Pragmatic Programmers, you can get the, the digital version. Um, I think those are the two spots. So it's either Prague Prague or check out Amazon. It's available shipping now. And uh, yeah, I hope you, those of you that pick it up, I hope you enjoy it. Hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Ripley. Use the hashtag fixing your scrum. Let me know what you thought. We'll take a look at those comments and I promise to respond. That's either a warning or a commitment. I'm not sure wow, which. That's, that's, um, but you're much better than me. So if, if someone leaves us some, some insights uh, or what they got from the book, I promise to, to at least message them back. And uh, we can't wait to see how people receive this. This is awesome. So congratulations on the book. And I'm going to make sure we have links to everything in there, including your classes as well. Great. Um, but I appreciate you taking time out for this. And thank you again for writing this book. 
Yeah, thank you, Dave. This is uh, it's an awesome opportunity. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk. I think we've met a few times at conferences, but yeah. I, we haven't been able to actually speak. So this was Never. a blast. You know what? You'll have to join me on Agile for Humans. I would love that. That would be great. All right. Cool. Thanks, man. Yep. Thank you. Mm-hmm.